Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Just wanna welcome all of you guys out there at TCI. Boardman, I am so excited to be with you via, you know, technology today. Anyways, Pastor Joe is out there. Can we just give it up for Pastor Joe? Come on, yeah. And also glad to be here with you guys as well and uh, excited about closing out this message today. But I do wanna share something with you. Um, something really cool happened uh, this Friday evening and uh, most of you may already know what I'm about to say, but uh, Frank and Renee sitting right here on the front row, uh, you see in the band all the time, uh, they just became grandparents for the first time. Yeah, awesome. And um, her daughter did a lot of hard work because the Cathers have a real issue when it comes to babies. We do. Our babies are very big. I just had a conversation with my mom to let her know that, hey, you have another great grandchild. And she's, I said, mom, how big were we? And she said, well, your sister was the smallest. She was eight, five. You were the smallest boy, son. Don't feel bad. You were nine, seven, 22 inches long. Your other brother was just around 12 pounds. And the other one who was born at home, you know, in Ireland, you'd have your second baby at home. The scales only went up to 11 pounds. And the doctor just said, he's a lot more. <laughs> we don't know how big that turkey was, but anyways. So poor little Kristen. Anyway, she, God sent us a little angel from heaven. And uh, she was eight pounds, four ounces, 20 inches long. And her name is Desiree Brynn. And so we are so proud to have Desiree Brynn Cathers as a new member of our family. So we're excited. Yeah. <laughs> Babies are life-giving. Anyways, hey, I want to share a story with you. Um, I remember when, uh, when I was 14, my parents moved from the home that we had, and we moved three miles away. Now, three miles can make a big difference. In this case, it did, because we moved three miles away, and where we ended up was we ended up in the foothills at the base of the San Gabriel Mountains. This is my parents' backyard. Now, when we first moved there, there was no pool, there were no walls, no palm trees, no grass. It was just mountain. And we literally had wildlife, like literally you had to watch out for rattlesnakes. I'm not joking. I remember taking out a trash can in the morning. I'm in ninth grade and there's a rattlesnake coiled up behind the can. So you had to watch out for rattlesnakes and rattlesnakes. We also had road runners. Beep, beep. We had, we literally had road runners. And we occasionally had that one deer that would stray and kind of wander through. We had coyotes. There was a lot of wildlife. But as a 14 year old, how many know that's like heaven, man because all we did was where that gate is in the picture, down there's a ravine and a natural wash, and we'd go into that wash, and we'd hike for miles up in there, and there was a set of little waterfalls up there if there wasn't a drought happening, you know? And uh, we'd hike for miles and miles and just do all kinds of fun stuff. But one day, moms, don't be too hard on your 14-year-olds. Their brains aren't fully developed yet. I'm just, just saying, if you're like one of those moms and you're like, you have like bald patches in your head because you're pulling your hair out, they just don't think real well. It'll change. Uh, and my wife just said this morning, after hearing that story, she goes, you never told me that story. She goes, I'm so glad that you're alive. I said, my parents prayed. That's probably why I'm alive. But anyway, so I'm, I'm 14 years old and we're hiking up. Me and my best friend are hiking up there. And I don't know how far in, but all of a sudden we come to like a cliff, like a sheer cliff. Now, I don't want to give you the impression that it's like 100, 200 feet high. It wasn't that. But in my 14-year-old brain, I thought, that would just be like an awesome idea 
to like climb that cliff, even though I have no rock climbing experience, even though at 14 I could probably do like one pull up, right? And it's not like rock climbing at the gym, you know, where everything's marked out and color coded and you put your foot here and you got a harness on. So I don't know what it was in my 14 year old brain that said, you should climb this. It's like a really good idea to climb this, but I did. And I got about 20 plus feet up and all of a sudden that cliff became more sheer and I got to where I couldn't see anything. Like I'm here, because if I move back just a little bit, I'm going off, right? You think, oh, that's only 20 feet. You're 14. You could just hit the ground, tuck and roll and come up. Not too bad. True. That is true for a 14 year old. But when the landing pad is nothing but boulders and stones, how many know if you do that, it's not a good ending. It's not gonna be a good day for me if I do that. So all of a sudden panic sets in and I'm just like, dude, I am stuck, man. I don't know how to get down. I can't remember how I got up here and now I can't get down, I'm stuck. You've all heard that saying, talk someone down. My friend literally talked me down. He was like, okay, now put your left hand, yeah, a little bit more. And I'm like, where, where? And he goes, just two more inches. Okay, got it. He goes, now, now you can't see this, but trust me, just put that foot down. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more, put your foot right there, yeah. And he literally talked me down off that cliff, and I am so glad he did. But you know what? Let me ask you a question. Who do you have in your life that can talk you down when you have a really bad day, have a really bad season? when you get a call back from the doctor and they say it's positive and unlike Michael Scott, you know that's not good news. Or you lose your job or you find out that your spouse is cheating. Like who do you go to in those moments when you're stuck? See, in those moments, we need to have some best friends. We need to have some BFFs IRL in real life, right? People that will fight for us, pray with us, stand with us, believe with us, be in our corner, walk with us through those tough times. We need people to walk through life with. And you know, a study was done in 2011, and they found out that the average American had more than 300 Facebook friends, but only two close friends. And you're thinking, well, that's not too bad. Do you know just 25 years ago, the average American had six friends? And so sociologists have begun to measure poverty in a way I never thought of it. And let me tell you how they track poverty now. There's three ways. Number one is material poverty. I think we're all familiar with that. That's just the lack of basic needs. Number two is spiritual poverty, the lack of eternal meaning and purpose in life. And then get this one. I never thought of this as poverty, but listen to how they frame it. Relational poverty, the lack of intimate friendships, now, I'm guessing most of us have never thought of poverty in that way, but yet, when you're missing out on that, you know that there's a void in your life. And so a few years ago, as a church, we began to really articulate our core values, and one of them that I think most of you know is, we are better together. Now, I don't think most people disagree with that statement that we are better together, but the problem is, is we don't always practice that, do we? And here's why I think that is. Here's my theory. Life is crazy and people are drama, so I mix the two. And so what we end up doing is keeping people at arm's length, 
keeping our relationships just on the surface, not real deep, that way we don't have to get into the drama and the crazy of their life. But here's the thing. No matter how young or old you are in this room today, whether you're a hipster or a candidate for a hip replacement, you need other people in your life. Because here's what I found out, you can't really reach your full potential without the help of others. And so here's the main thought I have for you guys today, and I hope that you'll remember this. And it's just simply this, we fixes me. We fixes me. What does that mean? That simply means that I can never really get to the place God wants me to get without your help. And I can never become who God wants me to become all by myself. We fixes me. So I wanna go to the book of Romans, chapter 16. This is the last chapter in the book of Romans written by the apostle Paul. And he is not gonna give us a bunch of doctrine in this text here, but I think what he's gonna demonstrate for us is how important people are in our lives. Because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to show you and I how he did life in the kingdom of God. And have a little mercy on me. There's a lot of Greek names here, and I, most of you know I am not Greek, so I might butcher just a few of them. But are you ready for this? Track with me. Greet Prissa and Aquila, my coworkers in the service of Christ Jesus. They risked their lives to save me. I'm thankful to them, and so are all the churches among the nations. Also greet the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus. Greet Mary who has worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the service of the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our coworker in the service of Christ, and my dear friend Stakies. Can I get a little applause for just doing that well? Glad I got the applause before the hard names came in. All right, anyways, here we go. Greet Herodian, greet those Christians who belong to the family of narcissists, big time narcissist in the body of Christ right there, all right. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet dear Persis. Greet Rufus, that outstanding Christian, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus. Don't laugh. Anyways, Hermes, I think I know what just happened there, but I'm gonna keep going. The brothers and sisters who are with them. Greet Philologus and Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all God's people who are with them. In case you didn't do the math, Paul just called out 26 individuals by name and four other people groups. Now, I don't know about you guys, but here is my image of the Apostle Paul. Warrior, don't need any help, don't need anybody. Depending on your generation, I am the John Wayne of apostles, I am the Rambo of apostles, I am the rock of apostles. Like, I don't need to, and nothing could be further from the truth. He actually never did ministry all by himself. And what is he saying, and what is he showing us here? He's showing us that his success was completely dependent upon the contributions of all these people, and that's not even a full list of everybody that was part of his life. He could not have become who he was without the help of others. In fact, before he was Paul, he was called Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was super religious, and he thought he was doing the will of God by killing and imprisoning Christians. In fact, if he would have showed up at this church, he would have hated you and hated me. And he was out putting these people to death. 
It tells us in um, Acts chapter 8, verse 1, he's right there when Stephen is martyred. And look at what it says. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. This is who he is. He's giving people high fives after they just killed a man for loving Jesus. That's who Saul is. And on the road to Damascus, a bright light shines and Jesus says, hey, you better quit picking on me. And he's like, who am I picking on? He said, I am Jesus. And immediately called him Lord. And he had a radical conversion and transformation. And suddenly all this zeal that he'd had to persecute Christians was turned to follow Jesus and to worship him. And immediately he goes into synagogue and begins to tell people what he's just learned, that Christ is the Messiah. And they decide they're going to kill him, so they have to sneak him out of town, lower him over a wall in a basket. He goes to Tarsus, the backside of the desert, his hometown. He's there for three years. He's forgotten, and the church is okay with that. Three years. We don't know much about what happened. For three years, this great apostle who wrote over half of what you and I read in our New Testament was just sitting there doing nothing, maybe just arguing with the local rabbis. And one day, one day, the church sends Barnabas on a mission. And Barnabas is on his way to Antioch, and he goes, you know what? I wonder what ever happened to Paul. Guys, take this exit. I'm gonna text Paul and see if he wants to do coffee. It's like, Paul, what's up? And he goes, not much. Just debating with the rabbis here every week. He's like, hey, why don't you come with me to Antioch and help me teach Christ there? And he did. And he spent a whole year teaching and strengthening the church in Antioch. And then look what happens a few verses later in Acts 13, verse 1. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch were Barnabas and Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Paul. And one day as these men were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Paul for a special job I have for them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now I want you to think with me. We fixes me, right? Paul, backside of a desert, gets connected to Barnabas. That's just one person. That one person connects him to a vibrant, alive church in a region called Antioch where we were first called Christians with diverse backgrounds, diverse people, tons of ethnicities wrapped up in this church. And that one friendship connected him with a group of prophets and teachers who connected him with his apostolic calling because that was ordination. They would lay their hands on you, pray for you, and set you apart for the work that the Holy Spirit said he had given to him. He got released into his calling because we fixes me, because people were part of his life. And without Barnabas, it doesn't happen. And without these prophets and teachers, he doesn't get released. You know, when I was younger, we used to go camping in Yosemite. And I can't imagine how my mom did that with four young kids, a week and a half in a tent with no shower. Who knows what we were like, but we loved it. You know, we were swimming in ice cold water. We're fishing. We're going out chopping up dead wood, throwing it on the campfire. But every year that we went there, they would take us on a drive just a couple miles away to the Redwood Forest. Now, this was before all the, you know, green stuff was out there, and we would drive into that forest, and you'd drive underneath 
a redwood tree that they had carved out a tunnel in and put asphalt under. And we'd drive through this tree and we'd walk around and we'd look at these redwoods. And honestly, if you've never seen them, they are massive trees, like 20 feet around. They can go up to 300 feet high. In fact, I have one here that I want to show you. This tree is called El Presidente, the president. Now you may not be that impressed, but that tree is 3,200 years old. That's seen a lot of people come and go. And the funny thing about redwood trees is they outlive other trees by thousands of years. Do you ever wonder why that is? Well, there's a number of factors for why that's true, but let me tell you one of the reasons why that's true. These trees have shallow root systems that extend over 100 feet from the base, intertwining with the roots of other redwoods. This increases their stability during strong winds and floods. So think with me, their roots go out 100 feet. So you could safely say, that any redwood tree that is within 150 feet of that tree, that redwood is now connected to that tree. Am I right? And what do we see pictures of when there's been strong winds? What do we see? Trees are down. When there's floods, what do we see? Trees are down. Not the redwoods. Because on their own, they probably would fall. But guess what? Because their roots are wrapped, it's not just them standing up against the storms that come in life, but it's them and all of their buddies holding each other up. And to me, that's a tragedy in the church world that there's a lot of people in the body of Christ, particularly in the West, which is where we are, who think that they don't need or don't have time to wrap other people of God around their relationship with God, that they're okay on their own, and you're not. You can never really grow to your full potential without others. Proverbs 27, six, you can trust a friend who corrects you, but kisses from an enemy are nothing but lies. How many know you need to have some people in your life that can tell you the truth? Not just yes men, people who can tell you what you need to hear sometimes. We need that, I need that. My wife tells me that all the time, you really need help. And I'm like, I know, I know, I need help. You know, one of the things that I learned to hate um, over the years as a pastor was I learned to hate all the devastation that came from divorce because there are like really great people who get caught up in a storm and when that happens, there's a ripple effect and it's devastating. And, and I just grew to hate that. And I can't tell you how many times I'd be on the phone with someone and I'd say, is there anything we could do or... And 99% of the time it was, no, there's nothing. Now, I wish I was a little bit more like Craig Rochelle because he tells a story of how a buddy of his that he went to college with and whose wedding he performed called him up one day. And he said, Pastor Craig, he said, I didn't want you to hear this from someone else. I owe it to you as a friend to let you know that my wife has been emotionally involved with another man and honestly, Craig, we haven't been happy in this marriage for years. We've been unhappy. And I'm thinking if Craig is like Graham, he'll say, man, I'm really sorry to hear that. Just know I'll be praying for you. If there's anything I can do, let me know. He actually didn't do that. Do you know what he did? He got his face and he said, hey, you're not getting divorced. What? No, you're not getting divorced because you've been chasing money. You've been chasing business success. 
You've been out at the football field on Sunday watching the NFL teams instead of getting your church into the house of God, getting your, your family to church. And he said, what you need to do is you need to repent to God. You need to repent to your wife. You need to repent to your family. And you need to start leading them back into church. Now, there's only one or two reactions when you call someone out like that. Either it's like, bam, you know. But believe it or not, this guy received that correction. Do you know what he did? He did just that. He repented. And he started getting his family back into church and started getting his focus right. And do you know what? One year later, God had completely healed that marriage. But what if there was no one there to challenge that man's decision? Do you think it would have had that ending? Because we fixes me. We need others. We need others. Proverbs 12, 26 says, good people take advice from their friends, but an evil person is easily led to do wrong. How many of you know that many of you in this room are just one or two people removed from getting to where you need to be or experiencing a change that God wants to bring? Now, I was just, I've told a number of people this, you know, privately, but I just had a conversation with my in-laws at a wedding reception like six months ago, and just that information they share with me has radically changed how I do life just nutritionally for the better. I'm so much better just from one conversation. And how many would agree that we all know this, our friends have a huge influence in our life, don't they? Positively or negatively. How many of you can think back to your younger days to think that, you know, when people would say they're running with the wrong crowd, you really were running with the wrong crowd? Because I can't tell you how many times I'd be with a group of knuckleheads and we'd all go, that's a great idea, let's do it. It was the dumbest thing ever. But there was nobody to tell us how stupid we were. So we thought it was good. And I can tell you this, you know, I've worked with a lot of people in rehab over the last year and uh, one of the things that they know and that I know is that when you're trying to get your life free from drugs and alcohol and all those things that a lot of times one of the biggest pitfall is your old friends. Because here's what I found out, when I got radically saved at 19 and I wanted to walk away from all that stuff, I did pretty good until I was with my old friends. And my old friends were on a mission, and their mission was to get the old grand back. They didn't like the new one. Do you know what I had to do eventually? I loved them, prayed for them, but I had to make some new friends. Because sometimes our friends just influence us to be stupid. I remember a group of kids I ran with my neighborhood. I was on the younger side, and we had a group of kids, and you know, I'd say the guy who was the oldest was maybe three years older than I was. So I'm thinking back to a situation that happened when I was in fifth grade, and he was in eighth grade, and he was a bit of a manipulator too, so uh, kids don't do this, but <laughs> we were making prank phone calls back before caller ID was around, okay? They were pretty innocent. Like, hey, is your fridge running? Yeah, well, you better go catch it. You know, that kind of dumb stuff that we used to do. And, uh, and so this eighth grader who, you know, I mean, he's kind of the leader of the pack, the alpha male, right? And I'm trying to impress him and be cool. So well, he just picks up a phone, dials a number and cusses somebody out. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. And he goes, Graham, you're, you're up next, man. You're the next man up. I'm like, yeah, I'm up. He goes, I'm gonna dial a number, just cuss him out. He dials a number, hands me the phone. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I didn't get too far into that tirade until the other end of the voice, the voice on the other end of that phone said these words, Graham, is that you? 
It was my Aunt Nan who was visiting my mom that day and he had called my house and handed me the phone because he thought that would be really funny. Let me tell you something. I would have rather fallen off that cliff because the ending of that day was not a good one. It was not a good ending that day. Friends, friends can influence us to do some really dumb things. So we got to get some good friends. And here's just another thing for you. Just, I know this, that all of us in, in life, at one point or another, we have or will be burned in relationships. And I know that I had enough of that happen in my life that there came a point in my life where I just stopped trusting people and I knew it. You know what happens when you stop trusting people? You don't let anybody in. You say, hi, I'm your friend. And that's as far as you come. Let's get together. Okay, that sounds great, but we're not going to. Why? Because I don't trust you. And when I lived that way, I knew that was wrong and I knew it wasn't healthy for me, but it took a process for me to say, God, you know what? I'm gonna have to learn to start taking a risk because yeah, I've been burned, but there's still some really great people out there. And I remember even praying and saying, God, send me some good friends. And literally like two days later, a guy who was a really good guy goes, Graham, you wanna go catch a movie? That's an invitation to get a little closer as a friend. You know what I said? No, thank you. Because I was conditioned to just push people away. And we've gotta take a risk and start, you know, allowing ourselves to become more vulnerable and authentic with people. And there are good people. You know, I can tell you one time in my life that was a difficult time. Um, I went to a conference called Iron Sharpens Iron, pastor's conference, one day conference. And it was during a time I'd been at a church for two decades. I was endeavoring to bring a tremendous amount of change to that church. And how many found out when you try to change things, it doesn't always go well. And it wasn't going that well. And that put a lot of strain on me and my family. And I knew I needed wisdom and I knew I needed help. I knew there were things that I didn't know. And I remember God connected me with this godly man, Dr. Eichler. And I began to wrap my relationship with God and Dr. Eichler. And I'm telling you, this man had the wisdom and the counsel and brought the healing that I and my family needed in that season of life. And here's the truth. I would actually not be in this church and in this region without Dr. Eichler. Do you know that? It was based on his recommendation and his godly counsel that we land here. And I'm thankful that God put him in my life. We really does fix me. And if you don't know this, there's 59 New Testament passages related to the words one another. You know what that tells me? You were never created to do this life with Christ alone. We need each other. We can't really grow without each other. Cigna, the health insurer, did a study in 2018 using UCLA's loneliness index. And listen to what it says here. One in five Americans rarely, if ever, feel close to others. And only about half, 53%, report having meaningful, in-person, social interaction with friends or family on a daily basis. Now get this, the younger this skews, the worse it gets. Gen Zers, age 18 to 22, scored a loneliness rate of 48.3 out of 80, making them the loneliest generation. Millennials age 23 to 37 come in second with a loneliness score of 45.3. Do you know what that tells me? That tells me that any room I'm in, no matter where I'm at, 
at least a fifth of the people in that room are isolated and they're lonely. And they're not feeling good about that. It's crushing them. The loneliness is crushing them because we weren't designed to live that way. And I really feel that when I was praying about this message and bringing this message, I really feel God put this on my heart for those of you that, you know, there's some of us that are doing this and we see the benefits of doing life with others and we're all in, right? There's just a little gasoline on your fire, but some of us, we struggle with being connected. And I really believe this is a promise. For some of you that feel isolated, it just feels like when you go home, like you're in a prison, you're so isolated. I believe what I'm gonna read next is God's promise to you this morning. Psalm 68, six says this, God places lonely people in families. Graham doesn't, God does. Think about that. Just let that sink in for just, God places lonely people in families. And do you know what I think? I think God gave you this church as a family. And we're so glad that God sent you to this family. And I just wanna encourage you to just come out of that isolation. Come out of that place of separation and, and take a chance again and let people in. I'm telling you, there's some awesome people here in this church that you need to wrap your relationship with God with. They can help you get where God wants you to be and become who God wants you to become. How do we do all this? How do we do all this? Guys, I'm gonna give you just a simple starting point, right? Something super, super simple. Two things, how do you do this? Two things, sign up, show up. Sign up and show up, what do you mean? Well, when you walk out into the lobbies on both campuses today, out in those lobbies are gonna be a bunch of awesome people just like you, they're leaders here. And there are people who have full, busy schedules just like you, but God has placed it in their heart to create a safe place, a safe environment for us to grow together in God. And when you walk out there, they can help get you connected. And all you really have to do is sign up and then show up. You say, oh man, I'm an introvert. Man, I've been afraid to be around people. I know, man, I know. Just let God help you get there. Sign up and then show up. And you say, well, what if I get into a group and I don't really like it? You know what, that happens occasionally. That leader won't be offended. Just walk back out of that group and walk right into another one. And here's the last thing I would say. Don't put it off for tomorrow. Because a lot of us, what we can tell ourselves is, you know what, I'm gonna walk out of here and, and I'll do that next week. I'll do that next week because Wendy's is running a special right now, Pastor Graham. And I'm gonna break my fast today. Don't do that. Here's what I know. What you put off for tomorrow very often never happens. How many of you were gonna go on a diet tomorrow a couple years ago? So guys, sign up and show up. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you are here, that you're present with us, that you are a shepherd today, Lord, that you do care about us. We're so thankful for all the benefits that come from being called your child. We thank you for all the promises. And Lord, we specifically thank you for the promise in Psalm 68, 6 today 
that says, I will place the lonely in a family. And Lord, I'm specifically praying for that group of people right now, that Lord, today you're gonna stir their hearts, that you're gonna pour out grace, that you're gonna pour out healing. And Lord, I'm praying, Lord, that if they're stuck in that place of isolation, that Lord, you help them get unstuck, that you'll help them walk out of that prison of isolation and bring them into the family that you've sent them to. Bring them into connection with other believers so they can experience the joy and the blessing that comes when we walk together in unity. A place where you, in Psalm 133 says, you have commanded your blessing on that. So Father, we thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, and while everybody is in this attitude of prayer, I just wanna do one more thing. If you're here today and you don't ever get connected to me in any way, shape, or form, that's maybe not that big of a deal. But there is someone that you need to be connected to, and that's the one who created you, and that's Jesus Christ. And Jesus is actually called a friend of sinners. So if you're like me, and for years you just felt like maybe I'm just not good enough to be somebody that would give my life to Jesus. I, I'm just not good enough to approach God. Maybe that's how you felt. But I just wanna encourage you today and say Jesus is a friend to you right now and wants to be a friend to you right now, friend of sinners. Yes, he'll take away your sin. Yes, he'll forgive you. And yes, he'll bring you into heaven. But you know what? He wants to bring heaven into you right now. He wants to give you eternal life here and now right where you live because we need his help not just when we get to heaven we need his help today we need a savior today we need a shepherd today and that's who he wants to be to you so if there's never been a moment in your life where you said jesus i want to put all of my trust and all of my confidence in you and i want to give you my life and follow you you want to do that today I wanna encourage you to just do this with me right now. Just go ahead and pray with me right now. No, it's not a magic prayer. It's not a silver bullet. But when we pray, God listens. And if we mean it from our hearts, God will do exactly what we ask. When we say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, that's exactly what he'll do. He'll come in and be Lord of our life in that moment. So if you're here today and you've never prayed this prayer before or you haven't prayed it in a long time and you're saying, today's the day I wanna cross that line of faith and put my trust in Jesus, then I want you to pray this prayer with me. And church, would you help me? Just say, Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. I've been living without you. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying for me on the cross. I put all of my trust in you. I accept you as my savior. Please come into me, into my life now. Give me eternal life and help me to live the rest of my life with you and for you. Amen. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. 
the best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren, and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast. Thank you.